Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. The death of ambition has been reported quite a bit in the news lately post-COVID. Employees are less motivated, we hear. There's quiet quitting going on. Well, we're living in an era that some people are calling the great resignation. And we're seeing this quiet quitting phenomenon where people work as little as possible at the bare minimum, just enough, but with no ambition, no goal, nothing but moderation or even just below. It is mediocrity as the goal. And the headlines are dominating on this subject. New York Times calls it the age of anti-ambition. The Cut magazine says, losing my ambition as a title. And Time magazine has an article that says, ambition is out. Burnout may be one reason from the pandemic and all its effects. Uh, The New York Times pointed to a McKinsey study. It showed that 42% of women feel burned out, up 10 points in two years. And men up, I think it said, seven points in two years. And even the top law firms, the New York Times pointed out, seem to be losing their kind of focused ambition. Last year, Reuters reported an unusual wave, it says, of attrition at the big firms. And it said many lawyers actually said they'd take less money to work less hours or move to a cheaper area. So that is what the article said. And it's happening in multiple industries. I read a Wall Street Journal article that said that the big firms are also seeing associates unwilling to work weekends and crazy hours and late nights. Whoa. Let me tell you something. That is radical. When I graduated from law school, if you didn't work grueling hours, you were unemployed. Today, Well, no, that just doesn't work for me. And so what they're having to do is hire more associates because work-life balance and other things in your life besides the firm are actually valued. Shocking, right? We've seen a corresponding decline in happiness. So if you look at studies of happiness, that has gone down. We've seen an increase, a corresponding increase in people questioning their purpose, If you look at the Time Magazine article I cited, it said that half of the surveyed workers said that they're questioning the purpose of their jobs and the role work plays in their life. So that corresponds to this quiet quitting. And as of July, the article said roughly half of U.S. workers were looking for a new job. So 29% that resigned said they were looking for better work-life balance. So this has not happened to this level probably before, or at least in recent history. So U.S. workers in particular feel exhausted at the end of a day. And it is not crazy to say, well, you know, what what impacts is this bringing us? So to talk about all of this, quiet quitting and ambition, we have an ambitious panel, not focused on mediocrity, in any way, to talk about quiet quitting and all of this. So we have Tammy Spade. Welcome, Tammy. Thank you. And Drew Bordas. Hello. Happy to be back. Welcome back. And Chip Nelges. Glad to be here. So with that, let's just have a quick conversation about 
what I'm saying. What is your response to that? Are we seeing a change in ambition? Are we seeing that? When you gave us, you know, this topic weeks ago, as we always prepare for these, the two things that popped immediately into my head were generational differences and the pandemic, because there's always generational differences just in values and how you were brought up and what's important to you. And I would venture to say there's never, ever been an older generation that thinks the younger generation has any ambition whatsoever. So I promise when I was running around in flannel shirts in the 90s listening to Nirvana, you know, my grandparents weren't saying, well, that that generation is a bunch of go-getters, right? It just doesn't happen. But I think the pandemic with a combination and the lockdowns and the mental health trauma that globally we went through, I think that has changed this in a way, hopefully it's temporary, that we've never seen before. That's just immediately what popped into my head. It's hard to make generalizations, but but these are studies and facts, right? So this is not just my guessing. But it is also sad to me when I talk to someone and they say, well, I've just realized that I have to work all of my life till the day that I die. And it's unlikely that anything can change for me. And so I'm just going to, you know, put in what I need to because I have to just plow through the year. And I think, wow, because I think of Jim Rohn when I was listening to his seminars over and over and, and he would say, you know, America, especially is a ladder. It's not where you start. You start anywhere, but you can climb to the next level. And there's a sense of fatalism of saying, oh, we can't, you know, I have to work till the day I die. That's crazy. Like you can better yourself. You can focus on your skills and get better. And if your skills are better, you're going to command more in the marketplace. And that's the way it works. And this is exciting that you can learn more to be more. And why do you care? Well, it's not about money. It's about impact. It's about being a better person. It's about how you can make the world a better place. It's how you can help your family rise up a level. It's much more involved than just, it's not self-centered is just my thinking, but you know, I'm met with kind of a yawn and a, I'm busy. I have a really great Netflix series to watch. And then of course I ask what it is. (laughs) When you said, uh, I have to, I immediately thought you get to, I'm of a different generation. I remember the 90s when we glorified long work hours, and I'm not saying that's how it should be, but I remember that. I liked what Drew had to say. I'd add to that that the other thing that's changed is social networking and the Internet. And what I mean by that, and I've seen that in our company as well, is that we have become increasingly familiar with the way work is viewed and managed in other parts of the world. I think part of what's going on is our reaction to that. And and you hear that all the time. So there's a comparison being made and then questions are asked. Why are we working all these days when Europe is off half the year? Right. And (laughs) I hear that a lot. Part of the response can be, well, in America, you have a unique opportunity to change your station, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it raises the question. It really does. It's it's an interesting thing as we think about ambition. And, you know, ambitious today tends to have more of a negative connotation than positive. People say, oh, that person's ambitious. Not usually, say, you know, pejorative. It's not kind of saying, you know, the way, way you were just referencing, Drew, of, you know, you're the go-getter kind of ambition, like that's a positive. But instead, it's that person's ambitious, meaning they're kind of shady. They're going to they're gonna take something away from me, right? Have you seen that shift at all? I've definitely noticed that shift. I do think generational popped up for me too, Drew. And we can't control for the pandemic, so it's hard to know 
what of this would be visible and observable if the pandemic hadn't happened. But I do notice the whole network thing that Chip mentioned, giving people lots of frequent opportunity. The messages for people are, you can move anytime. You can get a, a different job anytime. If you were looking for a new job, even 15 years ago, you would have to maybe hide your dress or suit in the car. You would go to a McDonald's and change before you went to the interview. Then you'd change back because otherwise people would be looking at you like, are you interviewing? You might not tell the truth about, you know, you're two hours out of the office. Well, it all happens online now, all online. Yeah, you're on Zoom. and You're on Zoom. Yeah. And yeah. it happens faster. It happens very, very quickly. You know, people have lots of different options. Talking to young professionals, which I do a fair amount, their view is just, I'll move around a lot. They just think they will. And to make more money, I have to make a move. And if they don't like something, which would seem weird to us, then they just leave and go do something else. And I think that they miss the power. I reference Jim Rohn a lot, but I think about so much that he shared with over and over. And one was the four ifs that make life worthwhile. And the fourth one was if you stay. Mm. So he said so many people quit. will go and dig a foundation. They do all the work to dig the foundation and then they walk away and start building another foundation. They never stay and put up the walls and see the roof. And, you know, I do see that there's power in moving around and all of that. I'm not anti that. I, there are times it works. But I do wonder because the old rules in HR management, when you look at somebody who has very short tenure at all these companies. I still think that there's something there because you mm -hmm. look at that and you go, well, if I hire you, how likely is it that the time and the investment that right. goes into you, which is substantial, mm -hmm. are you going to be here? What's my return? It's probably low. You'll probably be gone in six months yeah. to find the next thing. And I still think that's going to come back a little bit and bite them later. I think that temporary job market you know, or the the jobs, as Drew always says, a good recession sometimes cures a lot of. This. I just read somebody else has said that on Twitter yesterday, and I was like, "Ooh, it's not just me." They were quoting you, uh, and you know, I do think culture-wise, though, especially in the United States, like we have we have grown into a culture of instant gratification in every every form of our life, not just work. And so, imagine that, and then trying to tell a a, a new lawyer if you work a hundred hours a week. For the next 10 years, maybe you'll be partner. No, no <laughs> right. thanks. Right. No it, thanks, man. Right. In fact, if I work this weekend, I think I should be promoted. Like, right. I don't think we've done that on purpose, but just, you know, like we said of the, of the, in, in, in one of our previous conversations, you know, that adrenaline rush you get when you get an email or a ding in social media. I mean, that's how our life works. Instant. So sit here at this company and bust my butt for 10 years to maybe get a promotion or maybe you'll fire me. Maybe that's not as appealing to this generation. I, I don't know. It's true. And you do see some of that generational. I know Jason Dorsey, a friend of mine who we've had on here before, who's oh, a generation yeah. he's expert. He's great. Oh, he's unbelievably good. And his is all research-based. But if you look at the top career choice that most people have, it's, what do we used to say, doctor, lawyer, blah, you know, executive. No, it's influencer. Number one goal. See, and, we need a recession. But there's a sense, if you look at some of what the influencers are making, you get it. But there's a sense that being an influencer is, I just turn on my phone and talk for 30 seconds. The people that do that, it's very, very rare. 
not only is it rare to make it, but the skills it requires. You know, I have a friend who's a YouTuber and an expert YouTuber. Millions and millions of people follow YouTube. I'm not a big YouTuber, but it's fascinating to see people in different social media. I don't know if that's even called social media, YouTube anymore, but it's a platform. And it's fascinating to see that because people see the show. They don't see what goes into the show, the preparation, the technology, the video, the audio. There is a lot of work that goes in beyond just the, quote, talent in front of the screen. And this particular friend of mine does all of that himself. And that, I mean, he has the technology and the techniques and different apps and, I mean, cameras. It's an amazing process. But people don't want to have the ambition to learn all. You know, he says, I'll show you all of this. Oh, no, once they see all that's involved, they go, no, no, I'm not interested in that. I just want to get the $20,000 a month to be an influencer and talk about this product. And that, I think, is uh, generationally challenging. And it's global, by the way. That's global. I mean, you can see people... I saw people on the wall of China, and you can see them all lined up doing influencing and trying to to make it. So this is a global phenomenon. So I'm curious about quiet quitting. When we think about quiet quitting, is that new? I mean, we're talking about it. It's kind of all in the news, but is that a new phenomenon, or is it just more prevalent, or is it just in vogue because the media is focused on it, or because of the post-pandemic stuff? What is quiet quitting? I don't think it's new. I mean, we used to maybe use different terms. They're retiring in place. Oh, yeah. I, I don't right. think it's new. I think that the media might have put a new label on it, and so we're looking at it. And with the generational elements, the pandemic influence, I think we're more focused on it. And I do think people, it caused people to ask themselves, what are my plans in life? Um, what is my purpose? You know, you can find purpose everywhere. And you can miss it if you're not focused on it and not looking for it. I mean, we all want to work around people who are positive. Not that they're always going to be having a great day, but you want to work around individuals who are in it with you, not people who are like, you know, hi, I'm here to do the minimum. What would you like me to do? Nobody, you won't even be in a relationship with that person. I mean, when I think about quiet quitting and that phenomenon in the media, Tammy, I'm thinking about They've also labeled it as if the person has permanently, quietly quit. And I think that's dangerous because if you think about the mental health issues coming out of the pandemic, if you think about the stress, if you think about the change in the way we work and the way we operate, your mind needs a time to adjust to that. And it's different depending on the person. Some people adjust very quickly. Other people takes a little bit longer. So it's dangerous to me to label somebody as a quiet quitter as if that's a permanent thing when it may be a temporary thing. Even the most successful people will find that they quietly quit sporadically. It may be a week. It may be two hours where they just need to quit. It's the way they can refocus. It's the way they can recharge because they've really overloaded the circuits in their own mind for too long. And so to me, quiet quitting, I think, is a phase. I think that will move on. And and it's a pendulum. And I think it'll swing one way and the other But I think that some people who have quietly quit may just need to regain their sense of purpose. What am I here for? What am I doing? Do I like what I do, et cetera, and then regain their footing. But other people, you know, truly may think, no, I'm I'm looking to to milk the system. I think those people were wired that way all along. 
is my guess. And, but but there's a lot of mental health issues here. It, it also shows how good we have it as a society. I mean, you know, when we were all farmers and if you, your farm didn't work, you starved, there was no, maybe I don't want to do this today. So there's a little bit <laughs> yeah. of that too. Like we just have it really good. The other thing I'd observe is that in the pandemic, many of us began to work from home. And it became much easier. If you want to quiet quit, it's easier to do that from your dining room than it is from your office yes. where people are walking by. I also think that, Tammy, I think you alluded to this, that this is the last three or four years, is, it's been a huge transition for all of us, learning new technologies, causing us to question work. And I think it's typical for us to pause in transitions and reconsider. So, Skip, I agree with you. I think a lot of folks who may be labeled quiet quitters are just undergoing a transition and they need the time to do that. Yeah, and they'll come through and it'll be a different future. But it'll be a different future. That reflective time that I love to go through every week a little bit, but especially every year. Um, I ran into one of our executives the other day. We sat down and she says she uses January as that introspection period. So everybody has a different time. But I think society and people are going through that. And usually at the end of that, you end up in a much clearer, better place. And I think people are just going through that and forced to go through that in a way that they never have. And the adrenaline and the fear of, I have to work from home now. I have to figure this all out. I have to learn new technologies. And I'm afraid I'm going to get this virus and die. Like, And I have people that are sick in my family. And like all of that fear and adrenaline that was kind of going on both sides, stressing, is starting to dissipate. And then in its place will be a better future. I th I'm positive about it, but some people maybe not. But I think that it'll be replaced with more of a quietness and more of a steady goal orientation than what we label people as at the moment. So I'm hoping it's only temporary because if everybody's aiming for worse than average and just barely, you know, I want to get 25%, then that has a huge impact on the world in terms of our innovation, in terms of our creativity, in terms of new drugs being developed and new technologies and, you know, all the things that kind of fuel growth of the world could be jeopardized. I want to just end with this question. So if you've lost your spark, right, if you've lost your ambitions, you know, whether you're quiet quitting or you're just, you're just kind of down about it all, can you regain it and how? And do people even want to regain it right now or are they just too burn out from it? But can you regain your spark and how do you do that? Well, you've got to change something. I mean, it could be exercise, it could be diet, it could be your job, it could be your routine. I mean, you have to recognize you're in a funk or you're, you're spinning or, or something. And it doesn't, you don't have to, you know, move to Tibet and become a monk, but you could, I mean, you just make a small change and see if that snaps you out of it a little bit. Small change is always good. Incremental. Yeah, I think you have to realize, you, you said recognize you're in a funk. I was listening to a podcast, a veteran, eight tours in Afghanistan, talked about an ambush. And he said when he came home, he realized that he was on the X. He knew when he was on the X, when he was under direct attack, but when he came home and was dealing with a lot of mental health challenges, as many veterans do, he just didn't recognize he was on the X and had to get off of it. So I think that is key, is just realizing what is going on, where am I right now? But I absolutely think you can get that spark back. And back to what I said earlier, when he was in Afghanistan, do you think he was walking around on Tuesday saying, I don't know if I wanna do this today? <laughs> Uh, Maybe. <laughs> well, <laughs> different kind of. Uh, 
I, I'd also add that when you're in a funk, I think understanding that you are is obviously critical. Stepping back and revisiting your values. Why do I do what I do? Yes. Mm-hmm. Where am I in my life? That's good. Our goals in life change over time. Revisiting those on an annual basis in January, February, what have you, is terrific. Don't think it's strange that you need to do that. Yeah, really good. You know, I think about change. You think about how you deal with ambition. Drew was talking about incrementally, just make one small change. And for many people, that works. I know another philosophy, a a quote was, if you need to change, do it immediately and do it flamboyantly. So Mm. it could be that you want to make that incremental change. Other people may say, I need radical changes. I'm going to now sign up for these exercise classes. I'm going to do this. I'm going to now hang out with this group of friends. I mean, they will do it radically. And so it depends. Sometimes people will respond to one or the other, depending on how deep they are. Uh, Some people may say, I'm going to move across the country, et cetera. I just be careful with people is in those times, you may make too much of a leap. You may make too much of a jump and jeopardize things because maybe you haven't, Chip, thought through your values and what you're here for or whatever. Or to Drew's point, you haven't been incrementally thinking about things. And so is there a way to just revisit your values and decide what do I want to radically shift and what do I want to incrementally shift and what do I want to not shift? Because there are categories, I think, in each one of those. So it's an interesting topic. It's one that I think we're going to be watching for many years about quiet quitting, about ambition, about the effects on society and every single industry. But we know that if you quiet quit, you are definitely not aiming higher. And my suspicion is that the people listening to this podcast do not fall in the quiet quitting category. So thanks for listening. Thank you for rating and commenting on the podcast. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre. Always aim higher. Aim higher.